Fintech is here to stay, but personal opinion in 10 to 15 years down the road, the term fintech may disappear. The reason I'm saying that is because every financial institution is a tech, and especially with embedded finance coming up very strongly. Welcome to the Payments Powerhouses podcast, where we discuss current trends with the movers and shakers in the fintech industry, brought to you by 2C2P. Asia's leading payment solutions provider. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Suhan, your host for this episode. And today we have Ruben Lim, who is the Chief Operating Officer from Singapore Fintech Association, or better known as SFA. Ruben and his team at SFA lead forward-thinking initiatives that strengthen the Singapore and the region's fintech ecosystem. And I'm really excited to be speaking to someone that has a broad overview of the ins and outs of the wider fintech landscape. So welcome to the show, Ruben. Thank you very much, Suhan. And thank you to 2T2P for inviting me here. So I think to start off for our listeners, can you tell us what SFA is, why it was set up and what its mission is about? So SFA, in a nutshell, is a non-profit trade association and we aim to be a platform is to design to facilitate collaboration between all market participants as well as all the other stakeholders. And in terms of the participants will definitely be often tech companies. And when it comes to stakeholders, it is going to be very, very broad. So it includes from regulators to financial institutions, to brokers, to, to the vendors, across other industries and SMEs where they will benefit from the solution or they will even benefit from the interaction that they have with these companies. Great. So SFA is sort of like a, a gel or an enhancer for our fintech ecosystem. Thank you for putting it so so nicely, but that's exactly what we are. So what do you need to do to become a SFA member? Do you have to be a fintech or what if you're a non-fintech? We are very welcoming. We are open to all companies to join us. For companies who are fintech, you'll be known as an ordinary member. And if you're not, then you'll be known as an associate member. There's no real difference in terms of treatment. What will really come in is when it comes to the appointment for EXCO, which are the kind of like board of directors. So for the EXCO, we would like to have more fintech representation as compared to the associate membership. What does your role as COO entail? Yeah, I have the privilege of heading up the what we call the secretariat team. Secretary is not a term that's easily understood by a lot of people, you know. So if it's a for-profit company, usually it will be like a CEO and a company and then you have a board director. If you do a parallel, that's really kind of what the secretary is, you know. So we are the company that runs the association. We execute, we plan, we strategize and we execute it. But all this will be done with as well as the, the oversight of the EXCO, the executive committee. I'm curious, uh, what are some of the current focus or initiatives that are of priority right now at SFE? Could you share more? It's always been about how we can best support our members, both in Singapore as well as overseas. It's a very healthy, a very good challenge that we have. Our members are very widespread. So let me just put it in perspective for you. In fintech itself, maybe known as financial technology fintech, but it actually comprises of wide range of companies and verticals. So if I were to give a very simple two by two matrix on how we put the companies, how we align them. On a vertical axis, you have the funding level. So you have many in the pre-seed seed stages, three-man team, four-man team, up to ten-man team, all the way up to your listed companies as well as unicorns. And we do have a good number of unicorns in Singapore. On the horizontal axis will be your business model, so B2B, B2C. And now we are seeing more and more B2B, B2C, which all we call embedded finance. When it comes to the offerings, it's even more exciting. So you have your insure tech, reg tech, remittance payments, wealth management, digital solutions when it comes to cross-border payments, wallets, crypto, NFTs, DeFi. And that's really the kind of spread that we have. 
Yeah. So when it comes to initiative and priority, what we really want to do is to support as many of these members as we can. Because of the spread that we have, it's really quite hard to have one initiative to support everybody. But by and large, all our activities and plans are broken down into three categories or three pillars. Know your industry, strengthen your business, expand your business. And then on top of that, we kind of layer what we call advocacy. This is largely speaking how our initiatives are aligned to so that we can support members one way or another. And you mentioned there's a broad range of segments in fintech itself, right? Payments, crypto, DeFi, Web3. Are there any particular segment or areas that SFA is currently looking more at or priority focusing at as well? All segments are important to us. And I just want to emphasize to all my members out there, all of you are important to us. But the emphasis does change as time goes by because of different trends, different regulatory climate, different attention needed. So for example, a few months ago when the marketing guideline for DPT was, was released, immediately all resources and attention was drawn to that because we wanted to make sure that the concerns are being addressed. By now, pay later was kind of raised in the parliament. And in fact, prior to all those things, we already have the sensing on the ground. But when we reach a certain level where we feel that we have to take immediate action. So priority do change. All depends on what are the requirements and the circumstances. You mentioned by now, pay later, so I'll cover that a little bit later. But I'm curious to know, maybe for some of our listeners out there who aren't really sure about how SFA function, how do you exactly work with MAS, for example? Can you talk a little bit more? MAS has been a very active and supportive partner. We want to take this chance to really appreciate them and also call them out to help our listeners understand how supportive these guys are and how amazing these guys are as well. You know, if you look at our neighbours, you know, the system is set up where there's a central bank and there's a regulatory body and then there will be another department or division or agency that looks at promoting the whole ecosystem. In Singapore, all these three bodies sits under one authority called MAS, Monetary Authority of Singapore. That itself is amazing because under one roof under one direction, under one umbrella, they have an oversight on how these three elements of central bank regulation and market even comes together and align. And so because of that, we are, we are very privileged that we have the opportunity to work with different departments within MAS to be the voice of fintech, to play the advocacy role as well, where we help our members to present some of the thoughts, the, the trends to MAS and at the same time hear from MAS and how we can bridge the gap between the two. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about payments for a little bit. In particular, we have seen Buy Now, Pay Later, which you mentioned earlier. The segment has experienced quite an exponential growth. And earlier this year, I understand SFA also formed the Buy Now, Pay Later Working Group as an industry-led initiative. Perhaps could you share with our listeners what is the purpose of this group and what progress have you made since its uh, inception? Buy Now, Pay Later is actually very exciting. And I say exciting because if I would put it very crudely, it's really not entirely new. It is really credit to an extent, but it is enabled, it is made possible because of technology. You know, so right now, where things are moving a lot more faster with mobile application, with blockchain, a lot of these things have become more possible. And Buy Now Pay Later has different meaning and impact across different countries and regions. But more importantly, I want to call out that Buy Now Pay Later does advocate financial inclusion. It is a form of financial inclusion because in the past, you do need to have a bank account, a credit scoring, credit rating before you can even get a credit. And then of course, guided by credit card and so on and so forth. What it offers right now is that you do not need these financial requirements before you can enjoy credit to support some of the immediate purchases that will be needful for you. But that said, also because things are moving relatively fast, especially in Singapore, we observed that in consultation with MAS and the industry that we feel that probably... What would be useful is that there should be a set of working guidelines 
Right now, it doesn't really fall into any form of regulation. While it's very good, it, it is a form of financial inclusion, but there could be some potential risk as well. So what happens is that there should be some guardrails and put up to protect the consumers. And what is amazing about Singapore players is that they're all very forthcoming. And they feel that, look, we want to be guided by these things as well so that we can all operate soundly and provide the best services available for our consumers. So where we are now is that we are actually very close to completion. And once we have the first draft is ready, then we'll be going through the round of debate with all our members, the part of the working group, and then we will scrutinize that to the point where it's one that we feel that it is provides sufficient guardrails for the consumer as well as something that our players can adhere to. And then from there, there'll be press releases and we'll be doing a lot of education going forward. I think you mentioned about the guardrails, right? So obviously with more guardrails, with more regulation, it's going to impact some of the smaller buy now, pay later companies. Where do you see the impact? Do you see some of them merging with one another? Do you see some of them actually couldn't uh, adhere to some of the regulations? What do you think would happen? I will split that question up into two separate questions. So to address about the buy now, pay later per se specifically, when it comes to merger acquisition, this is a trend that cut across all fintech, or rather not just beyond fintech, but all the technology space at, at this moment. And it makes a lot of sense because sometimes it may not make sense for someone to start creating technology from scratch and some are really available. And then, they, of course, you want to acquire not just only your technology, but also the talent and also the business and also the network. So M&A happens across all sectors, and especially in fintech, it moves a lot faster than the other tech. But when it comes to Banana later, the working group is consciously made up of all the existing providers in Singapore, regardless of big or small, so that everyone has a voice when it comes to creating that code of conduct. And it's made in a way that's not going to be anti-competition. So stay tuned to that and when we are able to share the document, you realise that while there are guardrails, but you also made in a way that companies will still have the fair chance to compete. Also, I believe in your position, you often have to put on your macro lens, right? To keep a pulse check in our industry. Just last month, I read an article on CNBC which talks about Sequoia Capital calling right now a crucible moment for startups because amidst the growing inflation, the geopolitical risks around the world, and then the US Federal Reserve's decision to increase rates, right? And result of these factors, we are beginning to see companies like PayPal, Boat, Klarna appearing in the headlines for laying off hundreds of stuff. Do you think a spillover to Asia regarding this trend is imminent? What's your take? Long and short is yes. Uh, and like all macro trends that we see is usually starting from, from the West and then about plus minus three to six months, you will see the effect moving into this part of the world. Especially when it comes to Singapore, ASEAN, barring aside maybe Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, the larger markets, most of us are, depends a lot on trade. And this macroeconomic impact will have an influence in Singapore for sure. And especially in our region. What scares me is that the, the frequency of such trials and peaks are getting shorter. The good old days you used to see about 10 years. Now probably every three years or every, every three, three and a half years you will see such fluctuations. Personally, I feel that it's, it's something necessary because startups, not just only in fintech but in general, goes through this phase where there's always a, a slew of hot money. Valuation goes crazy. Then there are those good ones who really succeed. And then along the way, the bad ones or the not so good ones also benefited from the wave. So I think such a situation that we go through right now will really put to test every individual startup's business model, business operations, your forecast. And I think it's a good exercise that it goes through. I'm happy to say that most of the members that I come across in SFA, they have really solid business plans and business model. 
And I agree with you, like you say, right? Some of this stuff are cyclical. Hopefully, after this pass-through, probably see stronger business model as well. And there'll be learnings taken out of that. I guess closer to home, I'd like to talk about talent next, specifically around talent retention. I read that Singapore has the second highest turnover rate amongst the Nike fintech hubs globally, yet demand remained quite competitive with a 163% increase in fintech job offers in 2021. So I'd like to ask you, what do you think is the catalyst for this jump ship mentality? There are many reasons to that. Some would be because of remuneration, paychecks. Some will be because of size and scaling. Before I share more of the thoughts, just want to highlight that, you know, at SFA, we have uh, part of the fintech club is, as mentioned earlier, the focus on talent. And we have also kind of developed a talent strategy around there as well. We even have initiative where we actually bring about some of the larger fintech companies, uh, chief people officer to form a working group. It's exactly to these points that you mentioned earlier for us to get more insight and understand a bit better and also to direct this kind of flow. From some of the conversations that we have and the research that we do, we also produce our fintech talent report every year. So stay tuned this year, it'll be coming out during our Singapore Fintech Festival. Fintech don't just only compete for talent within fintech, but a tech talent can move across different spectrum. So fintech tech talent in particular will also then move to larger tech companies like the likes of your Meta, like the likes of your, your PayPal and, and what's not. Yeah. I think under such an environment, there is no one main driving force, but then there are a lot of suggestions as to how company can try to retain talent. But I do echo that the stats that you mentioned earlier, we do see that the retention period tends to be a bit shorter. It also means that it makes setting up culture becomes all the more important because culture is one of the things that we call out as to how one can potentially retain talent. Yeah, I agree. I think mean, culture is one of those where you really have to spend time and effort to build. You can't really buy with money. And it really takes time for a team to gel together to solidify the core. I'd like to point out that a few weeks back as well, the MAS chief Ravi Menon announced that more than 9,000 fintech jobs are opening this year, right? Particularly in the digital finance, blockchain tech and AI segment as fraud and money laundering prevention sector. What do you think the industry in Singapore could do better, like you mentioned earlier, to attract and also to retain the so-called talent and to nurture? There are many different ways to look at it. We can share very broad suggestions, but largely speaking, a lot still boils down to individual company because we have witnessed fintech companies that have average staff lifespan of three to five years. And then there are those with a lot shorter, probably a year, a year and a half. Really a lot boils down to company culture, but the culture is also then a very subjective to the founder to the senior management of what they feel is suitable for their business and their company. We also then try to do a reference as compared to those in B2B or B2C because their business models are relatively different, their target audience are very different, therefore their culture is also relatively different. And with that in mind, not just only culture, but of course remuneration plays a big part as well. We hear of cases where people move for a very slight increment, there are those who then get double the increment and they move on as well. So a few factors, paycheck is definitely one of them. We all have commitments to we need to pay. Then you have the culture, flexibility, timing, company mission and vision. You know, because there are a lot of employees who are staying on with the founders, staying on with the team because they believe in what they can achieve and they believe that they can do a lot more together. This is beyond culture itself because it is that drive that when you wake up in the morning, whether are you excited to go to work or are you like dreading yourself to go to work? Also, that mission vision plays a very big key role as well. So the founders influence the connection you make to the team. Another difference that we see is the company scale. 
You know, because at a 10-man team, five-man team, the founder, the executive director can spend more time sharing an impact. But as that move on to a 50-man team, 200-man team, 1,000-man team, it becomes a corporate. This transition itself may also lead to another form of wave of hiring and changing. And also because the need, what you see in that talent changed. Singapore is regarded as one of the world's leading fintech hub. I'm interested to know to see whether if SFA has partnered with other fintech hubs across globally as well. Uh, are there any collaboration opportunities or activities that you perhaps can share? To my best knowledge, in ASEAN, there are 10 countries in ASEAN, of which there are seven of us with uh, fintech associations. So there have always been this connection that we have made among ourselves. But this year, we have taken an active role in bringing everyone together and to tighten that relationship. I'm very excited to share that we are actually in discussion with the seven associations right now to form an, an active alliance. In due course, we are moving just beyond MOU. We are hoping to really bring everyone together where people in the region or globally can know that we are one market. We may be staying in different countries, but ultimately everyone who comes to Singapore, who goes to Malaysia, would want to then venture into other businesses. And we are here as an alliance to support everyone so that we can make the introduction, we can make the inroad, and there'll be some deliverables that we hope to achieve through this alliance as well. So yes, to you answer your question, within the ASEAN itself, this one big concrete step we hope to take for this year. But at the same time, SFA is very privileged through our past ex and secretaries effort, where we have made connections with a lot of other associations around the world. So whether it's Australia, whether it's the UK, China, India, we have connections there as well. The ASEAN FinTech sort of alliance you mentioned sounds really exciting. Is there any indication of which part of the year we're going to see something about it? We are hoping to announce something at during FinTech Festival, so stay tuned. Maybe just to sort of uh, wrap it up as well, what can we look for this year for FinTech in Singapore? Like Any exciting events or competition you'd like to specifically call out? Quite a number of things that maybe I just want to highlight. First and foremost, Stephanie MAS Global Accelerator. In fact, it'll be closing soon. So I just want to give all our listeners a shout out. This is for global, you know, so I believe this podcast is rich global audience. So if you have good solutions, look out for that. A very good price money there and you'll be in the limelight of our MAS. And at the same time, we also have SFF FinTech Award, MAS and SFA collaboration where we have this what we call SFF FinTech Awards. So look out for that. Registration is free, so you don't have to pay for an award. So you really are looking out for qualified, suitable winners. And on top of that, Singapore FinTech Festival is coming back. This time around, will be physical. So I do encourage everyone to keep a look and take part in this. It's going to be held in Expo. So you're looking at easily four, five, six big halls. You know, you can really count, clock your steps as you, as you visit there. Great. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and, and just to sort of uh, remind the listener, you mentioned about the, the competition. What is it called again? It's uh... Global FinTech Accelerator. All right. Listeners, remember the name and we look forward to you submitting your entries. And last but not least, I'd like to end off with a little bit of advice maybe from you. And we talked a lot about talent during this show as well. So I'm hoping to see whether you have any advice for any aspiring professionals looking to enter the fintech industry and how they should do it. Fintech is here to stay. So much as we spoke about earlier where the peaks and troughs are now shortening, you know, everything is coming back. But personal opinion in 10 to 15 years down the road, the term fintech may disappear. And that's the reason I'm saying that is because every financial institution is a tech. And especially with embedded finance coming up very strongly, even companies like Capital Land, even companies like Singapore Airlines have a fintech element as well. To the listeners out there, especially those who are not in the fintech space, keep your eyes in this sector 
because the space will only get broader and broader. So your skill sets that you acquire in one particular fintech company may be beneficial in supporting your career growth into other non-financial space, but they will still require your skill set, your knowledge and your network in due course. Thank you so much, Ruben. We enjoy you during the show, so we hope to see you again. Thank you very much for inviting us all. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. To read more about this conversation, go to 2c2p.com slash blog.